Thank you for leading us this morning, Paul and the guys. Uh, I've got a question for you. It's on the screen. Do you, uh, it's a personal question, it's a big question. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust Him in your current circumstances? Do you trust God with your current circumstances? Or are you struggling to do that? You're finding it hard to trust. And what does it actually mean? What does it actually look like to trust God? And maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't believe that God can be trusted or God should be trusted, that God isn't worthy of our trust. Well, today as we, uh, as we turn to God's word, which we're going to do, and as we get back to Second Kings, and for those who are visiting, uh, we as a church have spent the last year reading our way through Kings part one and part two. But as we pick up from where Gordon uh, left off a couple of weeks ago, we re-encounter someone who did trust. Someone who trusted God. And what we're also going to discover this morning is what does that actually look like? What does it actually mean? What does trust in practice involve? Plus, we're going to get reintroduced to someone else who ridiculed God. Someone else who was convinced that trusting God and trusting in God was a waste of time. It was a waste of energy. It was pointless. And anyone who encourages anyone to trust in God is deceiving them. And so, I suppose one of the questions is, are we deceiving people by encouraging them to trust in God? Are we? Because can we trust God? Well, right up front, let me uh, share my kind of two main points this morning. So, you kind of want to take a dose after this, here's the two main points, and that's, that's all you need to know, all right? But here's the kind of takeaway from this morning in two phrases. Get real and get praying. Get real and get praying. Please turn to 2 Kings 19, if you have it, on a device or an actual copy. And as you, you look that up, I want to bring us up to speed with where we've got to. So Hezekiah is king. He is the 12th king of Judah. He comes to the throne when he's 25 years of age and he reigns for 29 years. And whenever he is introduced to us, this is the start of 2 Kings 18 that Gordon looked at a couple of weeks ago. But whenever he's introduced to us, here is how he is described. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. So he's one of the few kings that this is set off. One of the few. There are a number, and Hezekiah is one of them. But we're also told something else about this king as he's introduced to us. Something that we haven't heard before. Haven't come across this before. It says this. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him. That is, there was no one like Hezekiah among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. So what was it that made this king unique? What was it that set him apart? Well, it seems to be that he trusted God. But the question is, how? In what ways did Hezekiah trust God? What did it look like? Well, that's, as I said, what we're going to be unpacking this morning, hopefully. So Hezekiah and Judah, and the capital city of Judah, which is Jerusalem, are facing a serious threat 
There's a crisis in their circumstances and in their situation. The king of Assyria, a guy called Sennacherib, has been wreaking havoc in the territory. He's attacked and he's captured lots of fortified cities in Judah. And he's now got his sights firmly set on the capital city. He's now gunning for Jerusalem. And the Israelites are clearly, the people of God are clearly afraid and freaked out by this. But Hezekiah comes along and says, trust God. God is going to deliver Jerusalem. God is going to deliver us. Jerusalem, our capital city, will not be taken. It will not fall into enemy hands. But as Hezekiah says this, he receives pushback from lots of people. And so, for example, the king of Assyria tells the people, he said, listen, wise up. Catch a grip. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's just deceiving you. He's misleading you by telling you to trust God or by saying that God is going to deliver Jerusalem. The facts are this. No God has been able to deliver the land from the king of Assyria. No God. The kings of Assyria have actually ridden roughshod over numerous places, over countless gods. So there's no chance that your God is going to be able to deliver you or deliver Jerusalem. You might as well forget it. So forget trust. Pointless. Face up the reality. This is actually how it is. So get your heads out of the clouds. I don't know if you've ever been there. Where the reality of your circumstances causes you to question God. The situation that you're in, the situation that you're facing makes trusting God right now, at this moment, really hard. In fact, you're not even sure you can't trust God anymore. Well, let me share a quote, which I'm going to come back to a number of times, and it's this. The reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. Reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. We need to get real. See, the perceived reality is that Zennacherib is about to capture Jerusalem. Who's going to stop him? Who's going to stop him? Well, that's, that's where we left it two weeks ago on a kind of cliffhanger, as Gordon described it. Now, before we uh, read on, have a look. If you've got, if you've got the Bible open or a, on a device there, just look at how the people responded to all of this, how the people of God reacted. It's the kind of last two verses of chapter 18. It says this. It says the people, whenever they, they heard all of this, whenever they said, why are you trusting? Why are you? Stop listening to Hezekiah, will you? Will you get real? How did the people respond? Well, two ways. It says in the last two verses of chapter 18, they remained silent. And some of them tore their clothes. Do you know, sometimes a situation is so bleak that you're lost for words and you're deeply distressed. And there are some people here this morning, that's where you are. In light of your circumstances, in light of what is going on, you're finding it really difficult to trust God, trust in God. And in fact, you're just lost for words because you're in deep distress. 
Well, that's where it's at as we get into chapter 19. So let's read the first four verses. Now, what we normally do here at Windsor is we stand for the public reading of God's word, which we will do later on, but for now, just keep your seats. Is that okay? But there's the words on the screen if you don't have a copy of scripture in front of you. These are the first four verses, 2 Kings 19. So when King Hezekiah heard this, heard this, these taunts, he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He went into the temple of the Lord and he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, and Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests who were all wearing sackcloth. He sent all of them to the prophet Isaiah, major prophet. And they told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when children come to the moment of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. I mean, this is, these are dark days. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander who was speaking on behalf of Zennacherib, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still surveys. Let's take a break there. Two words, presence and prayer. This is how Hezekiah responds. Presence and prayer. This is what it means to trust God. This is what it looks like to trust God. In light of and in the midst of his current circumstances, what does the king do? He seeks the presence of God and he seeks prayer. In humility, and that's what all that tearing of the clothes and the putting on a sackcloth is all about. In humility, in repentance, in penitence. Hezekiah, where does he head for? He heads straight for the temple. Why? Because he longs for the intimate presence of God. He seeks the presence of God in the midst of a situation and circumstances. And what does he also do? He, tur do? he turns to the man of God. He turns to the prophet of God. He turns to Isaiah and he says, will you pray for me? Will you pray for us? Presence and prayer, whatever your situation this morning, whatever your circumstances, whatever you're facing at the moment, whether it's big or small, let me encourage you to consider those two responses. Seek God's presence. Seek prayer. That's trust. That's trust. So how does Isaiah respond? Look at verses 5 to 7. Again, they're on the screen. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said this to them. Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. So this is not what Isaiah says. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And there... I will have him cut down with the sword. So two things to highlight from that. The first is that classic line. That classic line that occurs time and time again throughout Scripture. There it is. Do not be afraid. Some people would argue and have suggested that this phrase or a version of it, fear not, do not be, whatever, that it appears 365 times from Genesis to Revelation. That's one a day for every day of the year. So you can buy a devotional with one of those every day for every day of the year. 
I'm not, I'm not so sure it does occur 365 days. I think it's a bit of a push and a stretch. But here is the point. Whenever we choose to seek God's presence, whenever you choose to seek prayer, in other words, whenever you trust God and in God in your situation and with your circumstances, you have nothing to fear. You have absolutely nothing to fear because perfect love drives out fear and God is love. Hezekiah and co. had everything to fear. Zanacharib's track record was frightening. He had literally, as I say, ruled over anybody that got in his way. He captured most of Judah's fortified cities. Plus, and this is gross, but this is in God's word, so I'm happy to say it. But he threatened to force people to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. This king of Assyria was ruthless, intimidating, nasty, frightening. And therefore, to hear God say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of him. Don't be afraid of what you've heard. To hear those words must have been, had to have been incredibly comforting and encouraging and challenging and vital. So the question I have for you is, what is scaring you at the moment? What are you afraid of right now? What are you afraid of right now at home, at work, in that relationship? What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Because God says, do not be afraid. But the question is, do you trust God when he says that? I mean, do you hear that? Yeah, but do you accept it? Or are you still freaked out? And are you churning up inside because you're actually scared of your wits? First thing I want us to notice from that little bit. Do not be afraid. Second thing I want to highlight from what Isaiah said is this. Did you note the specific promise that Hezekiah receives? That the king of Assyria is going to return to where he came from and he's going to be killed. He's going to die by the sword. And when you think about it, that, that, is, that is kind of some heads up. That is some promise to be given. Did Hezekiah believe it? Well, that's a good question. But the enemy at this point doesn't let up. And so Sennacherib sends Hezekiah another threatening letter. Another letter that says, listen, Hezekiah, you, you seriously need to wise up and stop listening to your God. You need to stop trusting God. He doesn't let up on this. And so here's how his letter begins. And this is verse 10. If you're following, it's on the screen again. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you. See when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria? Are you listening to that? See, the king of Assyria questions the word of God. In fact, it's more than that. He says the word of God is a bunch of deceitful nonsense and nobody should listen to it and nobody should be taken in by it. And you know, today there are lots of people who still think that. Lots of people today still think that. The idea of ridiculing the word of God, of ridiculing the living God, it's nothing new. 
People have been doing it for years and people will continue to do it. And so, for example, people will come and say, do you, do you, honestly, do you honestly believe this stuff? Do you honestly believe that God created this world out of nothing? Do you honestly believe that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him? Do you really believe that? Do you honestly believe that if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and submit to him in all your ways, that he will lead your life? Do you? Do you honestly believe that Jesus is coming back again? Or are we simply being deceived? Well, you see, this is the, this is the attitude of Zanacharib as he writes to Hezekiah. God might have said all of that. But are you going to let God string you along? And I want to suggest there is an enemy of every human heart and soul that ever since day one, ever since Eden, has been calling into question every word of God. Did God really say? Did God really say? So do you trust God? Or are there other voices that create doubt in your head? Other voices suggesting you'd be mad to trust God. Stop being so naive. Stop being easily fooled. Well, Sennacherib is doing that exactly to Hezekiah. And as this letter goes on, and now we're up to verse 11 and 12, as this letter goes on, now don't worry, I know there's a lot of verses in this. We're not going to go right through every single verse. But as this letter goes on, look at verses 11 and 12, because he continues with the questions. He says, surely, I'll put starts on the screen there, surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and you will be delivered? Like, are you serious? Did the God of the nations, he goes on, did the God of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? No, they didn't. They didn't. And so you honestly think you're going to be different, Hezekiah, and the people of God are going to be different? You think that your God is able to do something different? You need to waken up to reality. Reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. So what now? What does a man who trusts in God, what does Hezekiah do now in response? In response to the abuse, in response to the taunts, in response to the ridicule, in response to the challenge, in response to all the questioning of God, what does Hezekiah do now? He prays. He doesn't just seek prayer from others. He goes before God in prayer himself. In his situation, with his situation, in his circumstances, with his circumstances, Hezekiah prays. This is what trust looks like fleshed out. This is what trust looks like in practice. In a crisis, with a crisis, Hezekiah isn't driven away from God. He's driven to God. And so from verses 14 to 19, we have Hezekiah's passionate and devout prayer. Now, this is not just an example of how to pray. This is ultimately an amazing example of how to trust. And so, at this point, we're going to stand. So those who have nodded off, come back again. This is Hezekiah's prayer, 2 Kings 19, 14 following. I think it's on the screen. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. All the taunts, all the ridicule, all the questioning. 
And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread the letter out before the Lord and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Zennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord our God. Please take a seat. Here is an incredible lesson in trust. Right from the outset, Hezekiah goes to God. He spreads out the issue. He spreads out the letter before him. This is what casting your burdens on God looks like. This is what doing what we are urged to do time and time again in Scripture looks like. Psalm 55 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. This is what it looks like. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but by everything in prayer, let your requests be made known. This is what it looks like. 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is what it looks like. Hezekiah's trust in God leads him to spread it all out, to bring his circumstances before God. Do we do, we do that? Are we doing that? Or are you trying to sort it out yourself? Whatever it is. I'm not for one minute saying that there's nothing to do, that you need to do nothing and should do nothing. I'm just asking, are you going to God before God? Are you praying as the first thing you do, the constant thing you do, the most important thing you do? Or is prayer a kind of last ditch option? Or do you kind of offer a prayer with no real thinking that you believe that God is actually trustworthy with us? But I'll say a prayer anyway. Hezekiah immediately goes to God. He comes before God. He puts it all out there. He starts to pray. And that is what it means and what it looks like to trust. But notice where his praying begins. It begins up. It begins in adoration. It begins in recognition of who God is. This is exactly like, and we've done this this morning already, as Paul led us in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. How does Jesus say you need to start praying like this? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So before he says what he wants, before the requests and the petitions come spilling out, Hezekiah worships. He declares who God is. Here's the words, where is it? And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Here's how he starts his prayer. Lord, the God of Israel, you're enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. This is a declaration of who God is as he comes to prayer. You're the God of Israel. You're near us. You are enthroned. You are in control. You alone are God. You are unique. You alone are creator. You are powerful. You have made. And again, this is further evidence of what trust looks like in practice. This is what it sounds like. This is what it feels like. It's about shifted focus. It's about fixing our eyes on God. It's about submission to God. It's about surrender. It's about being lost in wonder, love, and praise. It's about recognizing and accepting and believing that no matter what, no matter what is going on, what is kicking off, no matter what is turning your world upside down and inside out, no matter how you feel, no matter what you need to get off your chest, God is still God. 
God is still worthy of all our worship and he always deserves honor and praise. So our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's my starting point. That's what it means to trust. Even though everything's kicking off all around me, even though I'm in extreme situation and circumstances, even though everything's going wrong, I'm hearing being, you're being taunted, I'm being taunted. But you know something, God? You are still God. And so as I get on my knees before you, I'm going to worship you. That is the posture of trust. So do you trust God? Here's another way to put that question. How was your worship this morning? Has your focus been up? Has your heart been in it as you declared, as the guys led us in singing, how great is our God? Has your heart been in it? Because if your heart is in it, is that's where your focus is. That's where your starting point is. That is evidence that you trust God no matter what. To trust God is to worship God. And therefore, as Hezekiah begins to pray, he vocalizes his adoration and praise. You know, you know that we, what do you call, what's that word, an acronym? Is that, that, is that right? Is that the right word? Where the letters stand for something? Yeah? Anyway, you know that one for prayer, ACTS, A-C-T-S? What does the A stand for? The C, T, S, but it starts with adoration. It's got to start with adoration. So Hezekiah then, what does he go on to do? He then asks God, he says, God, I need you to listen to me. I need you to see. I need you to listen to what others are saying. I need you to see the reality of the situation. And he goes on in his prayer to name and highlight the raw data. I love this, verses 17 and 18. He says to God, as if God doesn't know, but he tells God, and he says, God, the Assyrians have wreaked havoc. The Assyrians have trampled and destroyed all other man-made gods. There's no denying reality. And it's crazy for any of us in whatever situation we are in, it's crazy for any of us to deny reality. But remember, reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. Hezekiah doesn't do that. And so then he comes to ask. Now comes the petition. Now comes the supplication. Now comes the request. Now comes the God, here's what I need. Verse 19. Now, Lord our God, here's what I need you to do. Deliver us from his hand. That's the cry of my heart. I need you to intervene. I need your help. I need you to rescue us. But it's critical we notice why. Because not just that that would be really good, God, if you did this. Not just because, God, we really don't want to be captured and killed. Not just because, God, we really don't want to give up our capital city. We don't want to lose out. And all of that is fair enough. That's true. But the overriding reason is God's glory. Look at the end of that verse. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, our God. Hezekiah's prayerful desire is that God would be known. His prime concern is God's glory and honor. And as we pray about our circumstances, as we pray in our circumstances, that needs to be our ultimate desire and hope because to trust God is to passionately seek his glory. That's why when we say the Lord's Prayer, we add the bit, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. All glory belongs to you. This is for your glory. Step in, intervene, answer my prayer, deliver us, rescue us. Why? Not just for me, but for your glory so that everyone would know that you are unique, so that everyone would know that you alone are God. 
Hezekiah trusted God, and so he prayed up in words of adoration. He prayed in as he brought his request before God, and he prayed out as he longed for the whole world to know God. Up, in, out. So the question is, what happens? And I'm nearly done. So what happens? Well, we don't have time to go into it in detail. But look at verse 20. Here's how Isaiah responds. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, said to sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He's heard, I have heard your prayer. You see, God hears Hezekiah's prayer, and that's no surprise to us because this is a prayer of humility. This is a prayer where he begins adoring God. This is a prayer that is all about the glory of God. So no wonder God hears Hezekiah's prayer. And then effectively, what you've got from verses 21 through to 34, and you've got to, you're going to have to trust me on this, but what you've got from verses 21 to 24 is Hezekiah, or Isaiah saying to Hezekiah simply this, relax, God has got this. Relax, God has got this. Now I know that's a massive summary of a lot of verses. So this afternoon, go home and read, read, what Isaiah, read Isaiah's prophecy. But here's the point, here's that quote, reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. You see, Hezekiah and the people faced a great crisis. They were helpless, that was the reality. But because Hezekiah did not leave out the reality of God, because he didn't do that, he therefore turned to God and trusted in God with his circumstances. Do you trust God? You do if you go to him in everything and with everything. You do if you consistently get on your knees. People who genuinely trust God get real and get praying. And therefore, let me again, and I know we'll come back to this again, encourage that holy habit, that essential spiritual discipline. Pray personally. Pray corporately. Come on Wednesday night, 8 p.m., Malone Avenue. Join with others. Unite to pray, to trust God with our church, to trust God with our witness, to trust God with our missionary family, to trust God with our new building, to trust God to work in our community and transform our, our lives and others' lives. Let's be like Hezekiah, a man who got real and got praying. That's trust. And then the last three verses end on a sobering, chilling note. Not going to read it all. Verse 36 says, So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he broke camp and he withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. He didn't get to Jerusalem. And then one day, verse 37, while he was worshiping in the temple of his God, his two sons kill him. They run him through with a sword. You see, going back to verse 7, where God said, Zanacharib's going to turn around. And Zanacharib's going to die. You see, God is true to his word. His promises come true. What God says happens. God can be trusted. And just one further thought, close. When those, those who ridicule the living God will face consequences. I'm not for one minute suggesting that if you don't trust God, a similar fate awaits you. 
But what I am saying is, if you don't trust God, you're taking your life into your own hands. You're deciding that you don't need God. You're excluding the reality of God. And therefore, you risk your future. Short-term and long. And so can I urge you, get real, get praying, because that's what it means to trust.